everyone. Welcome to The Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And this is one of our fantastic Google Hangouts where we interview an author and ask them your questions live uh, on YouTube Live and Google Hangouts. I already said that. I'm on a bit of painkiller medicine, as you may have noticed, uh, my giant hand here. Um, hello, giant hand. I had you are a trooper. Me. I got to give you. You get, you get like all the points. <laughs> all the points, all the trooper show. points today. Yeah. Fantastic. But we are joined today by the fantastic Mr. Anthony St. Clair. Anthony, thank you for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Glad to be here and glad you're coming along, Veronica. <laughs> I'm coming along. I'm doing something. Um, but yeah, We're going to submit this one for an yeah. award. Oh, yeah? Really? Yeah, we should. Like what sympathy kind of award? Vote. Like sympathy vote. Okay, the sympathy vote for like the Hugo noms for yeah. best yeah, fanzine. Exactly. All right, I think we can. I, I think we can swing that. Um, but anyway, Anthony, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, tell us a little bit about your work. Sure. So, my work is uh, based on a series called the Rucksack Universe. I refer to it as travel fantasy. So there are fantastical elements to this world. It's kind of an alternate version of ours. But everything ultimately centers around travel, and not like oh, let's book a cruise to Alaska kind of travel, like the, I'm going to backpack Asia for a year, I'm going to live in another country, I'm going to go up to the street vendor and see what happens. The kind of travel where you're really immersing yourself in a place and in a culture. So all of my characters, in one way or another, have travel as central to their lives and their journeys, both in terms of the actual travel and then the various adventures and personal things that they're working on and dealing with during the course of the stories. Now, what got you into travel? Because usually if people are interested in writing about travel, you would see them end up doing like traditional travel writing. This is a really cool take on that. Were you a fantasy fan who also traveled, or how, how did this come about? Pretty much like that. I was a total dork and total geek and got into traveling in college. It's kind of happenstance. I had nothing to do the first semester of my senior year. A buddy of mine had done the student exchange in Scotland and said to me, well, why don't you do the exchange that I did? So light bulb goes off. I'm 20 years old. Next thing I know, I'm in Edinburgh, which, coolest city. Uh, I'd spent, actually, the better part of the next like year or two between Scotland and Ireland. Um, it was also over there. I just, you know, I'm 20 years old. There's so much I learned about myself. I always knew I wanted to be a writer. But that put in the back of my mind all these ideas for story. I also, you know, being in the UK, I also get introduced to things like Terry Pratchett and his Discworld series, which I am now a total Discworld slut. I've read probably every Discworld book two or three times. Uh, coming back here, just throughout, you know, later years, and I've done a lot more traveling. I've traveled throughout Asia. Uh, my wife and I have been like Australia and Canada. Last year, our son, he was 15 months old at the time. We took him to Japan for three weeks. We gave him a passport for his first birthday. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So a few years back when I was really, you know, I, I used to have a real job, you know, capital R, capital J. It was decent, honest work, but I wasn't going anywhere in my career. And ultimately, right around the time we were going to start a family, actually, we were doing some real soul searching on what I should do. Um, and essentially it came down to, well, if I'm going to make a crack at trying to be a writer, because I've done the real job for years and didn't do anything to, you know, write on the side and all that. So we decided I was going to leave my job, and we were going to make a go of it. So getting into that and looking at my travel background, just seeing everything in my life has revolved now around travel. Where I live, the things that really get me pumped up, part of my career, everything. And as I saw the stories I wanted to write, travel was at the heart of those two. 
and it wasn't just the travel side. Like in some ways, the travel is a means to an end. I I want my stories to just get people excited. We we live in this really cool world, and mine's a fantastical version of it, but it's familiar enough. And if it makes someone say, you know what, I'm going to take that trip that I'm going to regret not taking. You know, if I'm 80 years old and looking back on my deathbed, if if what I do gets people fired up about you know, travel or other aspects of their life that they haven't explored yet and want to, then every word that I put down is, is worth the doing. That's really interesting because I feel like fantasy especially lends itself so well to this kind of storytelling because so many epic fantasy tales are are really a journey there you know you you start with the in in the one the humble beginnings and and take it to kind of the the conclusion that tends to be you know exciting and you know the the hero has made it all the way to the end of his quest and I feel like that that is a travelogue in and of itself it really is I mean you know, Tolkien in many ways, and you can look at something like Lord of the Rings and obviously The Hobbit. There's there's a lot of travel in that. And you can get into the metaphysics and metaphors and all of that too. And of course, this isn't the kind of travel that is like, oh, look, Aragorn and Bilbo are having cocktails on the beach. No, I mean, it's not exactly <laughs> the best no time. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about Rucksack Universe. Uh, you know, let, uh, for for those who haven't read the first book, tell them tell them a little bit about that, and then we, I want to get into your your new one too. Oh sure. So the Rucksack Universe. Part of of what was important to me when I was developing this, something that I really like about Discworld is you can come in from any book and be immersed. You can be right at home. It doesn't matter if you're picking up the fortieth book or the first book. And I really like that aspect. You know, I, I love. Series that have a clear progression and order, like Harry Potter or you know, Sergei Lukyanenko's Nightwatch series or something, those are really cool. But if you come in late to the game, you always feel you came in late to the game. So when I developed mine, I wanted someone to be able to come in at any time and at any point and have enough to be going on with for that book, but then be able to double back and look at whatever else took their fancy. Um, in terms of the actual story, everything in this world ultimately centers around travel, like I said, and then our world kind of splits off from this one in a cataclysm that I call the blast. It happened a couple hundred years ago in our time frame, and essentially it decimated a good deal of Ireland and England, like London burned, the city of Galway is no more. And everything that happens in the world, the way it's set up, the way cultures interplay are very different as a result of this. And all of the characters who are starting to get peppered out into the stories, there are some who have some ties back to that. And then there are some things that are happening now. There's a lot of long game getting set up, too. A little like we've seen in some of the like previous Doctor Who seasons. You know, you, mm -hmm. you get some things that are very much in the season. And there's some stuff that isn't getting actual taken to a head or resolved, like two or three. And I have some similar thinking in mind. So we have a lot of questions from our audience, actually, and and the first one comes from our friend Terp Kristen. Uh, she wants to know: Does he brew as well as write about craft brewing? And if yes, what does he like to brew? Ooh, yes, I brew. Uh, one thing that's nice about living in Oregon is, you know, we we call Eugene Brewgene. Portland <laughs> is nicknamed Birvana and all that. It is a brewing heaven here. Um, so yeah, I've been brewing since two thousand seven. I have actually been kind of a slacker the past few months. Something about like finishing manuscripts, I don't know. Um, 
But I especially love brewing uh, Belgian-style beers. Like when my wife and I got married in 2009, we brewed a Belgian-style triple, and that was very well received. People who didn't, who don't like beer, were drinking that beer. Uh, I especially love stouts and porters. Those are some of my favorites. And actually, stout stout is probably my favorite. And there's actually a stout that weaves throughout the stories called Galway Pradesh Stout that is almost like a character in its own right. It has nothing whatsoever to do with Guinness, I swear. Obviously not. Or Beamish no. or Murphy's. No, no, not at all. No. No. But I also, uh, Saison's, Belgian-style Saison's are another favorite. And I'm probably going to brew something along that vein pretty soon. And that kind of fits in well, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the character in the second book, Home Sweet Road, so he is he's also a bartender and a traveler. So does beer fit in with a lot of your a lot of your tales? There's a fair bit going on. Uh, you get a touch of it in the first book, The Martini of Destiny. It's not as central. Uh, Home Sweet Road would be. Yeah. <laughs> Funny <laughs> enough. Home Sweet Road is set in Ireland, and you get a you get a bit more about the role of the style. This is also kind of its homeland where it's brewed. Again, nothing like Guinness whatsoever. Uh, and Forever the Road, the book coming out later this year, it'll figure in even more. But yeah, the, uh, the the style comes in pretty integral. It's something that'll weave throughout all of these characters. And this is also something true to travel. You know, if beer didn't exist, travelers would have invented it. Because I, I can't think of a place I've gone at this point that, that there wasn't some cool night or cool story or cool people that, you know, also happen to involve a multi-beverage or two or well, maybe a couple more, but I'm kind of a cheap date, so. <laughs> do you, Me too. Do you, do you see, uh, I know travel fantasy is already like a really cool area to explore, but do you see beer punk in your future? <laughs> You know, that's one way to put it. There, There is a section, or not a section, a, uh, a set of characters who I haven't introduced yet who are the core and the heart of Galway Pradesh Stout. They are the people who brew the beer. It's a very long-running tradition. So I've been working on them kind of in the background and deciding how I want to get them introduced. So, yeah, there could be a sense of beer punk. I mean, you know, steam, boiling liquid, lots right. of juice and tanks and whatnot. Uh, that's actually a fun way that the craft brewing, uh, craft beer writing plays in. Uh, I do a lot of writing about beer in the Eugene area, and I recently got to tour. I don't know if you guys know Vincasi Brewing, but they are. This, no. Oh, well, we'll have to sort that out sometime. They they started up in 2006, and they're now like the 32nd biggest brewery in the country. And we're talking like 2,500 craft craft breweries in the U.S. right now. So they're about to open this huge facility, and I got to tour it the other day. There are tanks and pipes and all this crazy stuff everywhere. So, yeah, beer punk is actually a really good way to describe that. I'm totally going to steal it, Tom. <laughs> yeah, take it. Run with it. I want to see more. That's a, that sounds great. Uh, Dara wrote the question on our forums, uh, stealing an idea from the forums. Could you recommend a good science fiction and fantasy book you think people haven't heard of? Not necessarily something that influenced you, but something under the radar that you think more people should pick up. Mm. You know, that... Oh. Gosh. It's a toughie. It is, but the one that comes to mind, this is a tough one because technically it is an international, I think, best-selling series, but I would say Sergei Lekinenko's Nightwatch books, Nightwatch, Daywatch, Twilight Watch, and Last Watch, are one that are not as well-known as they should be. Uh, I learned about them from a good friend of ours who we get a lot of like fantasy and anime recommendations from. I can trust anything she throws at us. I think I've read that series twice. 
And one of the things I love about those books is they also deal with the sense of our regular everyday world and then kind of the stuff going on behind the scenes, almost in plain sight. But you kind of got to be led into the adventure of the story to know about it. There's a race called the Others who exist alongside humans, and they have supernatural abilities, and they essentially separate themselves into the light and the dark. And none of that is as light and dark or black and white as it sounds. They're just fascinating books of intrigue and twist. The writing is really fun. The main characters are fascinating. There's this uh, lead called a light magician named Gesser who could probably take Dumbledore and yeah. That's funny because someone else was mentioning a book series with, I think they were more aliens though, called The Others, or maybe it was the same series in a well, different Lost thread. Had the Others too, yeah. They also, that's well, familiar. yeah. I think they said offhand, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so we also have a question from, uh, which one was I looking at? De uh, Derek, sorry. With your books in a shared universe, how do you keep canon consistent from book to book? I guess more pointedly, how do you keep from tripping up future Anthony as ideas evolve over time? <laughs> Sounds like somebody's been watching How I Met Your Mother. Um, <laughs> the, the way I do it, so one of the things I do kind of in between projects, I have... Um, I got this term from a conference. It's called a core story. And this is kind of my behind-the-scenes document. It's currently, I think, about 400 pages. And a lot of this will never, ever show up on an actual page. But this is where I sit down and say, okay, Ashley, who is the Alwyn of Ireland? Uh, Fata Rucksack, who is this guy? What's his deal? The Brewers behind Galway Pradesh Stout. You know, who are these people? Now, what is the blast? How did this affect the world? That's where I basically riff on all the universe. Mm -hmm. So everything I do ultimately ties back into that document, and that's what I use to keep me straight. Um, that and I have really good beta readers. Ah, Ooh. that's something interesting that we've been talking about in the forums as well, is the whole beta reading process. How do you pick who's going to beta read your books, and what kind of feedback do you get from that? So I've, I've been very fortunate in some ways. Um, my beta readers are both people I know, but they're also people who, as far as I can tell, fit my, you know, fit my demographic, fit my target audience. They're into fantasy. They're into travel. This is part of their wheelhouse. So I have about half a dozen people, a few in the U.S., one in Australia, who I send stuff out to. Essentially, my process is I write everything out and go through it until I've done all I can, and then I have a chief reader who gets everything first. And Chief Reader goes through it, thoroughly kicks the stuffing out of me, and then I fix it some more. Pretty much once I've done everything I feel I can do to it at that point, I send it out to the beta readers. And they come back to me with everything from, you know, stupid typos I really should have caught to more substantial, like, plot things that I should tweak. Uh, like, there was one thing with Forever the Road comes to mind, because that's the one I, I just, like, shipped off to my copy editor recently. But one of my beta readers up in Portland was talking about something with the pub that's kind of at the middle of a lot of the action in the story. And you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, there's some of this that, you know, that's your particular peccadillo. I'm not going to worry about that. But this is like, okay, I'm going to do some tweaking here to make sure this aspect is more clear and this should come through more directly. So they, they really help keep me straight. Once I've gone through things with them, I can pretty much do another red pen edit and send it off to my copy editor and not have to think about it for a few weeks. 
You know, it really does show that, uh, it's, I, and I think it's more apparent now with the internet and self-publishing and and shining a little more light on the on the process. Writing a book is not the solitary profession that we all sort of imagine it to be. I mean, the yeah. actual writing of that first story might be, but it takes a huge team if you really want it to be polished and look it, good. It takes a team and it takes planning. You know, one one thing that I feel like I could easily go on a bit of a campaign about as I develop further in my career is the sense that the imagination is this spontaneous thing and it's somehow beyond the ordinary. Well, it's not. You know, my my father-in-law is, is a master electrician. He like manages these incredible industrial projects in Colorado. And he asked me one time, you know, when you work, is this like you're waiting for the muse? I'm like, no, actually, what I do is kind of like what you do. I get up. I got to get up every day and go to work. I don't wait for the muse. If, that, if the muse shows up, that's peachy, but as far as I'm concerned, the muse has been sad. Now, you get up, you put on your hard hat, you figure out what the deal is with the project, and you plan. You plan For me, I plan as best I can. And then when I get on the actual page, I liken it to being on a job site. You're dealing with you know, what's on the ground, as they say. So yeah, it's not spontaneous. It's not solitary. It takes planning. It takes inspiration, but it takes discipline and it takes a team of people who are not you because you are limited in your strengths and ultimately a book is something you are putting out in the world for them to hopefully critique and be moved by and you got to come to peace with that too otherwise you know that's what best roads are for it takes it takes almost a village worth mm -hmm. of people to, <laughs> to get that going really seriously uh rob had another question here he says the travelogue is such a fun lost form of writing it really delights me to see someone breathing life into it are there any writers or works of travel writing that have particularly influenced you i personally love what i've read of evelyn waugh do you have any advice for writers specifically on how best to turn their travels into material for writing whether fiction or nonfiction, i would say read everything by Bill Bryson that involves his travels. Uh, Bryson's been a big influence on me. The first book of his I ever read was Walk in the Woods. And actually, funnily enough, I read it in Scotland because a friend of mine had it loaned it to me. And I, I grew up in Virginia, so I'm somewhat familiar with the Appalachian Trail and whatnot that he talks about. And that book just had me in stitches. And his, uh, his Australia book, I read, I've read that twice. I read it again before. My wife and I went to Australia a few years back. Now, what what he brings to it is what I think a lot of writers need to bring to something about travel. Because a lot of people trying to write about travel get caught up in the sheer mechanics. You know, 10 o'clock, woke up, bit hungover, scrambled eggs, coffee, didn't puke. And it's just kind of this play-by-play, -play, but that's not the heart of the story. That's not what moves you. you know, Harry Potter is not kid left on doorstep, went to school. Yeah. <laughs> well, what Discovered wizard. With Admitted. travel writing is when you get into the people and the place. It's you know like with uh, with Home Sweet Road. It's the smell of the peat fire. It is you know drinking the pint while listening to music and getting to talk to these people and what those stories are. It's getting into the underlying connection and emotion. You tap into that. Yeah, you've got the play by play, but you didn't just go on a trip just to be like, woke up, did it, blah, blah, blah. You were moved. You met people. You, you pushed your comfort zone. And that's those are the things that when you put them on the page make for compelling travel writing, whether fiction or nonfiction. 
Well, I think that's one of the challenges that that you're taking on, which is pretty impressive. It's hard enough to write good travel writing, but then to turn that into fantasy and make that mm-hmm. also be good fantasy at the same time. I mean, how do you how how do you feel you're able to do that? A few things. I mean, one is just having an extensive research background in watching Doctor Who and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Excellent. Any Night Watch books and Harry Potter and Discworld and you know Neil Gaiman's books and whatnot. Just seeing what other authors do is a huge help. But in terms of the Rucksack universe, really looking at these characters in terms of what what compels them, it's understanding their motivation. Like I talked about how I plan my stories. Some people talk about planning books. I plan scenes. Like I will sit down with the book and say, okay, here's the action, here's the emotion, here's the point. I want to be, I take how I plan a book or a novella, whatever, and boil it down to one word. And then when I work on every single scene, I do the same thing. And everything ultimately has to support that point. So when I'm working on the characters, it's the same deal. Like creating Fatter Rucksack, who we'll really get to know more in uh, Forever the Road. We first meet him in Martini of Destiny. He, he kind of, he'll at least cameo in every story, kind of like Discworld's Death. Um, but he is a tricky one. He's kind of like if like Nanny Og from Discworld and the Doctor had a love child, it'd kind of be like him. <laughs> um, but keeping him real and not too over the top is, is a real challenge, and a lot of it is just trial and error. Like I have rewritten scenes with Rucksack like ten times sometimes because my chief reader has just been like too over the top. No, he's just blathering on. You know, when you can make him more approachable, this guy that you really could just sit down and have beer after beer with to your own peril, then you're really starting to tap into what balances that out. There's this evocative sense of what's real and the sensory detail coming from the world. Just like when you're traveling, things are new and different, and your senses are just wired to the max. And then that intimacy of two people talking or people getting to know each other or a tension that comes up and how that tension progresses and is ultimately resolved. That's that's the tight the tightrope that you walk with us. And we'll see how often I fall. Hmm. Do you have any any words of advice for people who are traveling for the first time, or what are your, what are your some some of your biggest travel tips? Because I'm going to China in a couple of weeks, and I need yeah. to know these things. China? What part? Yeah. All parts. Nice. For three weeks. I was in Kunming and Lijiang and Chengdu about ten years ago. I had so much fun. Um, play mahjong on the train. Oh, okay. Mainly because even I have no idea what they were saying, but it was clear that the Chinese people walking by were going, "Come look at the white people playing mahjong." <laughs> and then they sat down, like we had drinks together, and they would give us tips and lots of fun. One of my top tips would be when it comes to food. Like a lot of people get squeamish about eating on the road, especially in countries that are notorious uh, for getting sick, like India. I never got sick in India. A good friend of mine gave me some very good advice. Look for where you see moms and kids, because moms do not change country to country. If you see a place where there's no one there, you are truly at your own peril. Uh, if you see some families around, you're gonna be, you're probably gonna be fine. That's another an excellent tip piece of advice. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Another tip would be just dive in. You know, th- this is an experience that. If you really want to get out there and see something different, like 
when I was between uh, Scotland and Ireland, I was like 20, 21 years old, and I was talking to my mom, and she's like, when are you going to, you know, settle down and get a house and a job? And I'm like, Mom, you know, I'm, are you worried that I'm going to be like 90 and say I wish I'd spent more time in the office? <laughs> if only I'd spent more time at a cube. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're taking a bold step and acknowledge that. Revel in it. Mm -hmm. And just dive into that culture. I mean, be smart. Don't be an idiot. You know, but have let your guard down and be willing to actually see what that place is like on a day-to-day -day basis. It's tough, but it will be all the more worthwhile. And it makes for great stories when you get home. <laughs> That's fantastic. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure, Tom, Veronica. It's been so fun talking with you and everybody out there. Likewise. So when, when is the next book coming out? Uh, Forever the Road will be out later this year. Once I get it back from my copy editor, I'll know the exact release date. So yeah, but during everyone, Where can everyone follow your work online? Uh, my website is anthonystclair.com. That's anthony, S-T-C-L-A-I-R.com. Uh, I blog there about the universe. I talk about craft beer. I also do some other copywriting stuff and whatnot. But that's also where you can find stuff about all the stories and what else is next. Fantastic. And if you want to follow us, our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. We are at Sword and Laser over on Twitter. And if you want to subscribe to all of our videos, head over to youtube.com slash thesswordandlaser. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Good. It's like you're there.